Good morning, and welcome to ATAR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Stacey, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well, John. I am uh, still at home in North Carolina this week. I have one more trip to go for the year, uh, and then I am um, not off, but at least not traveling for work through the rest of the year. So um, doing well this morning. How about you? You're not at home, though. You're you're out in Florida this week, aren't you? No, I'm, I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida, five minutes away from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, um, Mr. Trump wasn't in when I went over to see him last night, but uh, I left him a note. Um, <laughs> and I, I am I am here for the Recruiting Trends and Talent Technology Conference, which is another gathering of people who are trying to make sense out of the rapidly changing world of recruiting. Yeah, it's you know recruiting is is it's one of those things where you know it just continues to expand and create a life of its own, but yet it has to fit into the bigger picture of HR technology. So it's always that tug of war between sort of is recruiting a thing of its own or is it part of the bigger HR tech ecosystem, but having its own event that's growing, you know, might help a little bit. Um, do you think this event will, now that I think they've, they've merged a couple of different events here and, and I think, uh, Eileen, uh, uh, is it Jerry Christman and, and Elaine who are sort of co-running that this time or? Uh, Elaine Orler is the chairperson of this event from now on, and she is, for people who don't know her, Elaine is one of the uh, pillars of the recruiting industry. She's been part of the Candidate Experience Awards and um, it has been essential in the evolution of the African tracking system. And so, so this is Elaine's baby, and there are maybe six or 700 people here um, and it looked to me like something on the order of 40 or 50 sessions. I gave a talk about um, um, the implications of artificial intelligence and, you know, another another room full of people. People can't give enough of that particular topic right now. Uh, and big companies have had a lot of representatives in that room who are trying to figure out what their next move is with AI. And because because 90% of the offerings in HR uh, that have AI components to them are done in recruiting, this is this is sort of ground zero. And and are you finding that um, people understand any better in the recruiting you know event than they did at the sort of broader HR technology events? What's happening in the AI space, or are they still just as sort of um, Sort of, you know, sort of like the blind leading the blind in, in many cases when it comes to AI technology in that area too. Um, it's you know the whole thing is very very new and um, it's not surprising that people don't understand it very well. The way you do things in the world of intelligent technology is different and not necessarily directly related to the way you used to develop software. And so so there's a massive retraining process that has to go on for people to be able to make sense out of the new things that are possible. Yeah. And that's probably, I think, the biggest thing that we're going to find is that much like when we went from, you know, sort of manual to automated 
HR processes, there was a huge amount of retraining that was going to take place and still takes place. And this is probably going to be another wave of retraining around all of this. Uh, now, interesting, we have a lot of organizations continuing to purchase um, their artificial intelligence um, sort of opportunities, I guess is a good way to put it, right? So today we've got news about Outmatch acquiring Pomelo, which is a predictive solutions for culture fit tool set, um, which goes along with that AI conversation. We also have about a lot of news this week about learning and development, which I think, you know, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on this, John, um, and structure acquiring uh, micro learning and assessment company. Um, and we also have, for those who are in the sort of education space, NeoGov announcing the purchase of FirstNet Learning. Um, there's also some interesting uh, conversation taking place right now around blockchain technology. Um, we can talk a little bit about what blockchain technology is and um, talk a little bit about you know whether or not that's going to have an impact sooner or later on the HR tech space and where it fits with this artificial intelligence conversation. Um, and if we have time today, um, I think there's a fascinating purchase that isn't specifically HR-related, but where both you and I think is going to have an impact on maybe some of the uh, business conversations where WeWork buys Meetup. Um, and uh, there's a, a conversation we have there about whether that's a technology and a service buy and whether or not that's going to have anything to do with HR. Um, so it's it's been a busy week um, while you guys are down there talking about recruiting this week. So uh, is Outmatch down there at all and any of the other sort of uh, recruiting softwares like that with a lot of uh, assessment tools being built into them now? There are a few of the assessment providers. You know, you know of the, I don't know, 100 or so uh, AI providers in the space, I've got 10 of them offer some version of assessment automation. Um, and that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. Outmatch is uh, an interesting roll-up. So they, they, yeah. they keep accumulating little bits and pieces under this um, um, overall corporate umbrella run by Greg Baran, who used to be um, the CEO of a company that did reference checking related stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is this is growing out of the reference checking space. And reference checking is sort of a unique. I, I know I've seen the reference checking market sort of when they're not sort of bought up by a big recruiting ATS, right? That they, they generally tend to move into this assessment space. Uh, you know, is assessment a place where you think the artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, is that really, um, I guess, achieving all the things that we thought it would, say, a year ago? Because I know there was a lot of investment in that. This is just one of the many, as you said. You know, are, are people feel, finding that they're getting better outcomes from, from these hires because of all of these new assessment tools now? I, I don't think it's reached that point yet. I think maybe we're getting better press releases. Uh, but I'm, I'm less I'm less clear that there's uh, some sort of net benefit. There are a lot of pretty interesting ideas, but the pretty interesting ideas all have to do with automating assessment the way that it was done in the 20th century, and and um, really the 
the way that it was done in the 20th century was limited by the methods available. And we've got with higher view is an interesting example of, of what's possible. They are taking video in interviews and using it as data for assessment. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's the beginning of something, though, not the end state of something. Because yeah. higher view can higher view can identify twenty five thousand different variables in a fifteen minute interview and correlate those variables with other assessment science from the twentieth century. And what hasn't happened yet is the correlation of those twenty five thousand variables to something that people haven't thought about yet. And that'll happen here pretty quickly. The science is easier to do because data collection is so easy now. Well, and I think that's the, that's the bigger conversation for me is is the is the fact that um, any tool that requires you to think about the fact that you're entering data in some way, right? A form, an assessment, those type of things, they're all still good and they're better than paper based in any format, right? But the next generation, I think, is is exactly what you were just talking about, which is this idea of capturing data while people are just doing things they do, talking to you, having conversations, doing their work on a daily basis, you know, um, being part of their groups and their activities and their functions, right? And that's the kind of thing I think that will be interesting to see is can that stuff get accurate readings as well when you don't know that you're being assessed in some way to some extent. Um, and, and there's some ethical issues there too. So it'll be an interesting conversation. Um, you know, sort of along those lines of video capturing and understanding what's happening there, Instructure acquired a video micro-learning and assessment company themselves. So for those who don't know Instructure, Instructure's been around in the sort of K through 12, a um, little bit in the higher education space as well of sort of learning management systems. They were a technology that was really, really sort of focused on that audience from a the, the people who work in those environments, their educational needs, right? Um, as well as the, there is some elements of what they do that's student-focused uh, as well. But it's been sort of a nice mix for them of being able to understand sort of campus life and their Canvas products as well as sort of K through 12 and education and learning needs. But they've always been pretty traditional in how they've offered their sort of curriculums and classes and content, um, like many of the other solutions, although they've had a much better user experience in many cases than many of the other systems. Um, but they've just picked up what they're calling a, a, a video microlearning and assessment company. And I think this is, we're going to see this year a lot of learning acquisitions. That's, if I'm going to make any prediction for what's happening, going to happen in 2018, it will be that the small little learning and development solutions that have been sort of built up around micro-learning, video, pre-assessments, understanding the user's personalized learning needs, where they need it, when they need it, are going to get picked up by some of these more traditional learning platforms. And I think that's what's happening here. Um, you know, are they talking much in the recruiting space about onboarding there, you know, this week, John? Because this has a lot to do with sort of getting people ready for the job, but also helping them pick up new skill sets. There's not a heavy conversation about onboarding. The, the traditional player, Silk Road, is here uh, talking about their onboarding process, but nobody's really looking at what's about to happen. This this thing, 
part of what I think you're talking about is that the distinction between the silos inside of HR was an artifact. And we're going to start to see that the difference between recruiting and learning isn't as great as people have made it out to be. Onboarding being a perfect example. Uh, and, and by utilizing micro-learning, a lot of the things that seem to be really interesting in recruiting right now, like employment branding, are liable to become methods for getting people up to speed faster. Um, And so micro-learning techniques being applied to employment branding are the kinds of things that aren't here at the show right now, but you can expect to see that stuff pop up this year. Well, and and I think what's even more interesting, you know, to your point that, you know, the companies that are using this micro-learning tool that the structure picked up are not the traditional K-12 through education companies that Canvas has focused on and Structure has focused on previously. They're clients like Comcast, Domino's Pizza, Medical School, right? These are, these are organizations that are using this micro-learning tool for uh, on-the-job, very specific, and in many cases, early on, micro-learning model. And so I think we'll see more and more of it. Um, another one that was sort of interesting, and again, a very niche market, NeoGov. NeoGov is a – I've seen him once or twice. Um, I've not had a full briefing with him. I've just sort of seen him as I've been talking to other organizations who are dealing with him. They're a human resource software for public sector and higher education markets. Um, but they're acquiring a, a company called FirstNet Learning, uh, a provider of comprehensive online learning solutions, which basically, you know, depending on how you look at it, it could be an LMS, um, but it also looks like it includes – some other elements of learning and development um, for this market, particularly uh, for them providing uh, training to public agencies and, and insurance pools, those type of things. So it's a content with an LMS kind of a component. But again, I just think it emphasizes that we're going to see it's, it's starting in niche areas right now where organizations who are HR focused are picking up learning elements. But I think we're going to see this broaden out. We already saw the very large SAP uh, Oracles and uh, Workday all created um, sort of either their own LMSs last year or they um, sort of doubled down on the LMSs that they had in place with um, SAP and uh, their um, original LMS that they had purchased through the SuccessFactors purchase. So uh, learning is going to become an interesting topic this year. Um, any other things that you're hearing in the artificial space from the learning side, John, is that, that you're thinking is going to play into some of these uh, new acquisitions and conversations? No, not really. The, the leader in that, in that stuff for the moment is Cornerstone, and their, their approach to learning is to automate recommendations and make learning more like a consumer video experience inside of companies. And that's, that's an interesting start. They're, of course, they're awfully smart people over at Cornerstone, and they will um, um, take that basic idea and expand it into micro-learning fairly quickly. Uh, but the, but the, the movement isn't fast yet, largely because, you know, historically, the gap between the people in learning and the people in the rest of HR has been quite significant. Yeah. Um, 
the the learning and development people have their own trade shows and trade associations and and rarely turn up in places where HR people turn up. Yeah. And that that structure, that's that's just old school structure. That stuff always dissipates once the new technology hits. Uh, but that's where we are today. The old structure is still in place. Yeah, and 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 I, I for one, you know, having come from from the learning space in the early days, would be really, really happy to see these silos completely taken down a bit, because I think it causes us more more uh, more trouble than not. Um, and there is some real opportunity to start seeing. I think if we can think about personalization with the idea of knowing the person, and then providing learning from that basis, it's going to change how we think about this. Sort of on along the lines of knowing the person is the idea of blockchain technology. So, so what do you know about blockchain technology right now, John? There was a big article written by Sherm around whether HR is ready for blockchain technology. Is this coming up in any of the conversations you're having, you know, prior to this? No, and and I'll tell you what, you, you know, like I think most people, I hear blockchain and I get the same sort of anxiety that I get um, when I find out another piece of the artificial intelligence question that I don't understand. It's it is a different way of thinking about things that I understand a little bit about, but it's significantly different. So so when I think about blockchain. I believe that blockchain is a technology that allows you to have validated transactions in a database that's publicly visible and has sort of the auditing process built into it so that there's never a question about the validity of what's going on at the transactional level of the database. And, that and that's pretty... And that pretty well fits what 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 I understand. My my, you know, sort of from a technical perspective, part of the you know, because the big question is, is it hackable? Because it's been part of this growth of Bitcoin. And to be honest, I think it's been a bit of a disservice to the technology that it's been part of the Bitcoin, which is sort of the electronic online sort of commerce model that's been growing around some very sort of. I guess it depends on how you how you look at Bitcoin, but some some of the things that are sort of less savory that goes on on the internet in some cases. But the technology in and of itself was designed with the idea that, um, you know, previously we would sort of you have a piece of paper, someone sort of says, for example, there's there's a bunch of of product in a truck, I'm passing it to you, and here's the paper that says that there's this is what's in the truck, and then the person who gets it's supposed to check it all off and. Mark say, yep, everything's in the truck, and here it is, and I'm going to pass this truck on to the next person. You know, so there's a lot of middlemen involved in sort of passing products and things uh, around the world. And eventually we turned that into sort of electronic forms, but you were always dependent on the last person who filled out that form to basically say, yes, I saw it, and yes, this is what it had in it, right? And my understanding with the blockchain technology is that um, not only is it dependent on sort of certifying that that person says what they are saying is true, but it then sort of takes that information and spreads it out against, and I don't know this, the whole technical component, but spreads it out against a multiple numbers of different computer sets. So no one can get in and hack or change that data unless 
every one of those data points is changed in all the different computer sets. So it basically disperses it, and it's basically unchangeable without all those other groups basically saying, yes, I agree, this should be changed. Um, and in some cases, the expectation is that it will alleviate the middleman or the person maybe who's in the middle who takes a little bit off the top or takes a little bit off the bottom while they're sort of making their transition of products or tools or money or any cases, right? So that's the, the sort of non-technical way that it's been explained to me. Um, what it's, what in the HR space, I think there have been a couple of places where we're seeing organizations start to think about it. One is in certifications around things like education, background checks, those type of things right now where you sort of depend on a organization or a system to go back into another system to double check and verify where if this comes to fruition, you would be able to sort of have a blockchain number that would automatically assume certification in some cases. Um, there's also been some conversations that this could help the payroll market, and that I think will be interesting, and that the payroll market right now is um, particularly in small countries where the banking environments aren't as stable as they are in sort of the larger um, uh, markets, um, the, oftentimes the, how people get access to their funds from a payroll perspective can be a bit dicey and people get, a, a, you know, depending on which banking systems they're using or which card systems they're using or whether or not they have um, are using cash in those environments, they're thinking that this could also maybe stabilize some of that and cut out some of the middlemen who take some of the money out of the process while they're sort of transitioning all of those um, funds. So those are the two areas where I've heard it being used. Recruiting, definitely, there is. what was interesting in this particular one article was there is a, a company that was found who's already doing this um, in the recruiting space um, called Recruit Technologies and Ascribe. Um, and... Uh, I don't know if you've seen them or, or not previously, John, but I was sort of interesting to find there was a company actually doing some of this already. So. Yeah, but if, you know, this, this, the bigger the problem you try to solve with this technology, the less likely it is to be solved. Right? So, so background checking, which would be the idea, and that what you're saying is, is that it's a good idea to have a national background checking database that's validated. Yep. And there, there, there may not be many ideas that scare me more than that. <laughs> um, right. I mean, that's 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 the beginning of a level of oversight and control that just makes me very uncomfortable. Um, and that's. That's what a comprehensive, validated national background checking database would be. And can you imagine? Because the same kinds of people who operate credit scores and credit reports would mm -hmm. be in charge of, of that thing, right? This is this is this is credit reporting technology. Fundamentally, is what you're talking about. Um, um, it is a horror to try to fix something when it's bad in that environment. Right, I so think, you've got a... Go I think the one difference, and I could be wrong on this, and so if, we're, if I'm incorrect, I'd, I'd love to have someone sort of explain it a little bit better. My understanding is that part of this new idea is that 
you as the person who that data is about would also have to confirm the information before it gets changed. I, I could be wrong, because right now, when our credit scores change, we don't know, right? As, as far as I understand, nobody tells us that something has been put on our credit reports unless you go look for it, correct? That's right. That's right. I just don't think that there's an implicit um, blockchain doesn't care if you care about your data. It's a technology, yeah. right? There's yeah. not an implicit yeah. Stacy has to bless off on stuff because it's blockchain. That's that's the design of the system. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And right. Right, and and so, so the the idealistic view of where blockchain may go is sort of runs aground when you actually apply it to actual people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely know. there's definitely I think risks and benefits to it. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I you know I I'm sort of of the same you know I I'm a big you know. Um, advocate for really understanding what's happening in the credit score space because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into credit scores, very simpler credit scores, very similar to what we're talking about with artificial intelligence that is based off of um, traditional bias thinking, right? And um, we're, as a, as, a, as a group of people working in technology, we really have to understand what goes into the, the decision-making processes of every number that people are being, you know, sort of judged by or based on, right? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. There, you know, it, one of the last things that, that this article mentions, which I was surprised to find, that um, there are organizations also starting to use this from a payroll perspective already. So, um uh, there is a blockchain-based payroll system called Bitwage that is uh, based out of San Francisco, um, using technology to do cross-border payments through the use of Bitcoin. Um, and there's also another organization out of Australia called Chronobank uh, that's using blockchain technology to employ um, to allow employees to pay contract workers without going through the banks. Um, so again. I, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to see more and more conversations about it here in the U.S. as well. Um, and the question will be whether it's going to be around payroll, background checks, learning, or all the above. So it's going to be exciting. I, one of the one of the ideas that I saw that I think will take off is uh, the notion that you can get paid anytime you want to get paid. Because you're you're freed from the batch processing that characterized payroll for all time, and that is interesting and probably revolutionary. Well, and you know we're we're changing how we think about work and pay and everything these days. You know the the last topic we had today was the idea that we work is buying meetup. Um, for those who might not know who WeWork is, it's, a, it's really a very large organization. It's had a, a large investments um, over the last couple of years, but it basically provides places for people to work who are, who are sort of working out of their own office environments, right? Um, and they're buying the social network called Meetup. And again, for those who don't know what Meetup is, it's a sort of a platform where you can go in and sort of from a hobby perspective find other people who like to hike or like to do, you know, 
cross-stitching or whatever you want to do in a group environment. Um, with 35 million members, I had no idea it had that many members. Um, and so basically, um, we work purchase them. Uh, they say that, um, that they're going to attract a slew of investors because of what they're doing. Um, most notably, uh, they've led a $4.4 billion investment in, in all of this work with WeWork. Um, so it's going to be pretty large, the investments being made in these type of um, environments. John, do you think this is something that could actually have an impact on how we think about work environments as well? Is, is this sort of the next generation of work environments that create my own space, I have my hobbies, I have everything sort of connected in my work-life balance environment? So it's a much longer conversation. There is something happening that's pretty amazing, but all of the hyper-successful entrepreneurs that I know who run growth-oriented companies, they want the team on-site. They, they, they don't believe in remote work. Um, and, and you're starting to see rethinking of the idea of remote work in some quarters of the economy. So, so it, it isn't going to be the case that everybody gets to do this, but some subset of college-educated people, so some subset of 30% of the population is going to have an interesting world where they get to create their own work environment and work separately from the organization. And for that market, the combination of meetups and WeWork is a tremendous idea. It will spawn really interesting recruiting innovation it's it's an amazing thing, but it's not a trend that's going to dominate the workspace. Well, I I might push back on this a little bit in that front. I actually think you know by WeWork picking up Meetup, we're going to get into an audience here who may realize that they have more opportunity than they thought they had in the past because Meetup, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, when I first, you know, um, started looking for a group of people to um, do some exercise stuff that I wanted to here in the local Raleigh area, everybody, not just sort of the my you know, friends who were sort of in the sort of echelons of, um, you know, corporate work environment, but everybody from the guy who, you know, comes out and helps me with the plumbing in my house recommended that I go to meet up to meet people in the local area. And I was like, Wow, that's not something I would have expected, right? You know, from uh, from people who aren't as technically savvy, right? Oftentimes, um, as I tend to think I am sometimes, but Meetup seems to be something that has gone all the way through um, as a social tool where people can connect from a hobby perspective. I think this might be one of the ways we actually get um, a broader audience leveraging a, a and thinking about how they can do things differently in work environments. Because Meetup is about hobbies, and people are willing to expand their ideas, and they're thinking about hobbies. Um, and when you connect that with their work environments, then all of a sudden you start to expand on how you think about work environments. So my take is this might actually be more interesting um, and might bring a broader audience, and it won't be just for the certain audience that currently sort of sits in that social network space that we think about. Well, let's see. We could bet yeah. money on this. <laughs> Good. We could definitely bet no, money on another, this. Uh, another great show, another great conversation. Yeah. Things keep moving along. Thanks for making the time to do this, and thanks, everybody, for listening.
Thanks, everyone. Have a nice week. And you have a, a safe trip home, John. And, and next week, we'll, we'll catch everyone at the same time, same place. Fantastic. And you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.